0: In 2008, when the housing crash happened in our country, how many remember that? That was a joy, wasn't it? Great moment. Uh, I knew a, a, a pastor who had had a very uh, lucrative career uh, with a particular uh, photography company, like a big name. I, I'm not going to say which one or whatever, but he had a... a, a pretty high up position and and was uh, doing quite well in that company, and then God called him to ministry, and so it was one of those moments of, okay, I've got this, you know, career that's high paying and everything's good, and now God wants me to go pastor a church. I know what that means financially. (laughs) I know what that's going to do. It's going to be tough, but he was faithful to it, and so he went over. Uh, but at that point, he had a pretty large house that he knew was going to be beyond his reach on, you know, ministry salary. And so he was putting the house up for sale, and then the housing market crashed. And he just thought, God, what, I mean, wow, you know, what's going to happen here? I'm, Am, am I going to end up, you know... Declaring bankruptcy on this? Am I just going to lose it and my credit's going to be destroyed? I mean, what's going to happen, God? I just I don't know what's going to happen here. And he started praying about it. And out of nowhere, his bank calls him and says, you know, we're going through this. I mean, we're looking at our own balance sheet of what we're going to have to deal with. We don't want to foreclose. We don't know all this. So we are forgiving a certain number of loans, and yours is one of them. And he said he just started crying because he, you know, he knew God had called him into ministry, and he just thought, how financially is this going to work now? I don't understand. And God just, we're forgiving that loan, and then he was able to sell it and get out from under it, went on to pastor churches and is still doing fine. Uh, but how do you think inside when that debt was forgiven like that? How would you feel? I mean, you yeah, know, I keep waiting. I'm like, God, if you want to, I would totally, like, not be opposed to that phone call. Hadn't happened yet. But you really would. I mean, something inside, you would just feel this, this moment of, of just freedom, wouldn't you? I mean you would want to you, you would want to find the person who was that last one that genuinely had to sign off on that and be like look here's a fruit basket here's my firstborn what you know, whatever I mean we you you really would you would have this moment of just genuine gratitude inside that that would have to come out somehow right You would have to. I mean, you would be so thankful for what happened, especially if you were facing a situation like this man was, where you're genuinely wondering how you're going to continue forward. And then all of those prayers are answered in a moment. Well, today, we're going to look at a a story and a parable. Uh, Jesus tells a short parable in the middle of this story, In Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 36, and going through 50, and we talk about forgiven debts, how debts against us, when they are forgiven, create a sense of gratitude and worship. And so look with me, beginning in verse 36, and it says, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went in into the Pharisee's home and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. But from the time I came in she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, "Your sins are forgiven." Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this? Who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now this is quite the story that we have going right here. Jesus goes into this Pharisee's house. Now he he dealt a lot with the Pharisees. And, you know, the Pharisees, of course, are famous for what? A lot A lot of self-righteousness a lot of judgment but there were also those that saw it there were Pharisees that believed Jesus and so this man is is trying in his way to get to know Jesus he's trying to listen to him he invites him to his house in Jewish culture that is a major thing to have somebody come under your roof and share a meal meant that he accepted Jesus for what he was teaching as best he could so you know don't get too far over on condemning this Pharisee named Simon right now because he is trying he's reaching out as best he knows how and yet he Jesus comes in to eat and then a woman from the city comes in and just drops at his feet from behind and just starts weeping and, and crying on his feet and cleaning his feet with her hair and anointing his feet with this this ointment and I don't know about you, but that might make for a bit of a distracting dinner. Now, remember, they didn't have tables like we did. You kind of sat on the floor with pillows and, and kind of laid back, and the table was you know, about this high off the ground. And so when it says reclining at table, that's what they were doing. And so she's there doing this, and they're eating, and Jesus just lets it happen. Now, how many of you would be like, you want to take care of that? I mean, really, you know, sometimes you got to think realistically about these scenes of what's going on. You, you probably have, you know, six or seven people around this table. They're all laying there. They're eating. They're trying to get wisdom from Jesus. They're talking. You're like, How? you're healing people. How's that work? How are you doing this? I mean, there, there's genuine seeking going on, and this woman is just weeping and carrying on, and Jesus just lets it happen. He doesn't stop it. He, he doesn't stop to like, okay, what can I do for you? He just lets it keep going. And you know there's some weird glances. You know, they're just looking at each other like, is, are we just going to keep doing this? What's going to happen? And then finally they look and they know who this woman is. And they're like, she's got a bad reputation in town. And the judgment starts. And Jesus, this is a moment of him being the son of God, says basically he knows their thoughts. And he hits them with this parable of two people that owe debts. One owes 500 denarii, another 50. And he says both debts are canceled. And he just asks him, he says, which one do you think will love the man more? And he says, well, I suppose the one who's forgiven more. And Jesus says, you're right. Now this isn't, a comparison or a weighing of who's more sinful, this woman or Simon. Okay, that's not what he's doing right here. What we look and we see is that the greater the need, the greater the gratitude. You know, if you owe me $10 and I tell you don't worry about it, you probably say, okay. You owe me $10,000 and I say don't worry about it, You're probably going to feel a little more motivation inside to say thank you, right? I mean, it's just human nature. You know, Jesus isn't teaching something that's completely earth-shattering right here, but gratitude is at the core of so much of what we do as Christians. Gratitude, then, is deep thankfulness that comes from the heart, okay? It is expressed thankfulness. That, that that comes from so deep within that it has to be expressed. I mean, it's something that has to, to come out. You feel it so strongly, you cannot help but express it. And over and over again in Scripture, we are called to give thanks. I mean, think about it. How many psalms can you read that it talks about give thanks to the Lord? Give thanks, give thanks, give thanks. We read in the New Testament, I mean, I I give thanks, give thanks, give thanks. I, I think maybe the Bible's trying to tell us something. That it keeps repeating the same message over and over. And, you know, we're not talking a generic kind of thankfulness. Yes, we're thankful for everything. We are, but we're to be thankful for who God is, what God has done, what God has given us, and for what God is doing. And do we really take the time to focus and think about those things in our lives so much that it develops into gratitude? You see, gratitude isn't something we can just muster up when, when needed. You know, we can muster up politeness, right? But our heart isn't really there. Gratitude is not something we can fake. If we have gratitude, if we have genuine thankfulness to God, it comes from a deep place that is real, that is connected to the truth. And, and so gratitude is at the core of praise and worship. Did you know that? I mean, what is praise and worship? Worship is to worship, to ascribe worth to something. It is give, the giving of thanks and the declaration of, of praise and thanks and, and honor to the person being praised thankfulness is at the core psalm 100 verse 4 says enter his gates with what thanksgiving enter like that's the password (laughs) enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise give thanks to him bless his name now in in one verse thanks is mentioned twice this is just one verse in the Bible and it's already like you want to enter into God's presence it starts with thankfulness and I mean real thankfulness thinking about what he's done if we're going to enter into praise and worship what is it we're doing we're saying thank you God you sent your son to die thank you God that you have loved me when when you had reason not to Thank you God that you are holy and unchanging cuz if you were anything else I wouldn't be here. And we we think about those so deeply that it goes somewhere deep inside of us that it generates gratitude that we think this is genuinely true. God hasn't wiped me out when he could have. Thank you God. And and it turns into genuine gratitude that must be shown. And that's where this woman was who came into this dinner is that Jesus has done something for her in life. We don't know what. We we, we know what, but we don't know the story. Jesus has set her free in some way that she is just dead set on I will go worship him. He's there, the door's open, and, and I mean, she's taking a risk. She's gonna walk into a Pharisee's house? as a woman of ill repute, if you will, this isn't just a small thing. She is literally putting herself at risk doing this. And you know what? She doesn't care because she's not worried about them. She's worried about giving thanks. Gratitude also motivates service. Did you know that? If you're thankful for something, you're more likely to act on it. Gratitude motivates service. Hebrews 12, 28 says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Amen? Let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Let us be grateful for what we have received, and because we're grateful, We will offer acceptable worship. Now, worship, in my mind, is not true worship until it fulfills itself in service. We haven't truly worshipped God until we are serving Him. We may sing some praises and we may go through some motions, but we've really worshipped Him when it includes obedience. Because genuine worship always ends in obedience. That's That's where it works itself out. But gratitude also guides us in life. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 Give thanks in good circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now let's just have a moment of honesty. I struggle with that. Who else does? Please everybody raise your hand. Because if you don't, you get to come up and teach us. Because it, it, give thanks in all circumstances. Now my, my human nature wants to say, you know what, I'll give thanks when things are good. And when they're bad, I want to go to God and say, how do I fix it and what do I need to do? And, and, and I want to solve it, but... It's not my human nature to immediately say, God, thank you for the difficulty. Thank you that this was so hard that it broke me. Thank you that that, that this hasn't worked out like I thought it would. (laughs) And yet, there's something to that that he tells us over and over, do it, give thanks in all circumstances. Now, that doesn't mean that it's always got to be completely centered around the the failure or the difficulty. Sometimes we may be in difficulty, we're in a trial, and we give thanks to God for His love, for His unshakable kingdom, for His grace. And what happens is God gets bigger and the problem gets smaller. And thankfulness is the key. Because when we are in the middle of pain can we easily think of anything else? No. No, we don't. I mean, we just don't. And my example for you that is when you're walking at night in your house without the lights on and you stub your toe, are you really thinking about anything else in that moment? No. Are you thinking, God, thank you that I have a house that I was able to stub my toe on. Thank you for the furniture that I have. Thank you. I mean, we, we don't. Our mind doesn't do that. We, we, like a laser beam, focus on pain like there's nothing else in the world. And so when, when, when Paul writes and tells us, in all circumstances, give thanks, what is he doing? He's saying, learn to expand your view of life. Don't let a moment define reality for you. Now, that doesn't mean ignore it. And I'm not talking about that pretending like everything's okay when it's not. Okay, Christians are good at that. You know, how are you? I'm fine, I'm fine. Put the smile on. I'm fine. You know what? It's okay to say you're not. Admitting you're struggling, admitting pain is not a failure of faith. Okay, let me say that again admitting struggle, admitting pain, even admitting failure is not a failure of faith. It's what we do with that in the midst of it that reveals our faith. And if we're able to say, you know what, right now my life is terrible, but God is on his throne and I'm going to trust him to get me through it. You know what, you're in good company if you do that because you read through the Psalms, you see that over and over and over. My heart is downcast, I'll put my trust in Him. Over and over you see that same thing where people are, are crying out for pain, for resolution, for God. You know, when they say, God, how long is this going to go on? I mean, there, there are people that are at the end of their rope literally and then they say, but I will trust in you. And I will give thanks to you. And they direct their heart back to thanks after they've cried out in pain, trusting that God is bigger than what they're going through. And so it's up to us, literally, to train ourselves to return to thanks, as it says here, in all circumstances. So sometimes we have people that say, you know, I, I just don't know what God's will for my life is. I don't know what God wants me to do. Well, here it is, right here. What does it say? Give thanks. Give thanks for this is the will of God. You see, sometimes we want way more specific and God's like, no, I got this, just give thanks and I will take care of you. Give me thanks, be thankful, be grateful for what I'm doing, that I'm in your life and I will get you through this. Now, I'll just be honest, my heart, I have a problem with that. I, I do, I, just, I struggle with that sometimes and I'm like, no God, I, I need more. And he's like, no, you don't get more because I want your heart and you're letting the situation color how you see reality rather than my grace and my love and my goodness. And so we have to train ourselves literally to do that because gratitude it, it, it guides us in life but it's also at the core of all Christian behavior. Everything God wants you to do is going to be affected By what kind of gratitude you have in your heart for him. Okay, listen to Colossians 3, 15 through 17. Now, this is a familiar passage, so if you have it memorized, don't tune it out. Listen closely and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Now, let's pause. Let. What does that word let mean? Allow it. It means we can stop it. It means it doesn't have to happen. We can choose to worry or we can let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. This is a choice we have to make. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. In whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So he says, let the peace of Christ rule in you, let the word of Christ dwell richly within you, and then he tells us three times, be thankful. What is the key to letting the peace of Christ rule in your hearts? Gratitude. Gratitude. It is. It's gratitude. The difference difference that gratitude makes is why the person who, who could be a millionaire commits suicide, and the person who has nothing but Jesus has joy and brings joy to other people because of gratitude. They are thankful in their hearts or not to what God has done. And if we have thankfulness to God in all circumstances, then that means that God is our anchor in all circumstances, and we will look to Him, not to circumstances. And God becomes more than just the way out. Have you ever seen that, where God just becomes the solution to the problem instead of the all in all? Our prayer lives kind of drop down to a level of, God, just fix my life. Instead of, God, you're awesome, thankful, f- you know, I'm thankful for who you are. I'm thankful that I get to be in your kingdom. Thank you for sending your son to die for me, what I'm facing right now. God, I want to be faithful through it, and, and if you'd help me, I really appreciate it. But even if you don't, you've done enough, and I'm grateful for it. You see, gratefulness expands our view of him. And this is just proven. Grateful people in life, people who walk around with a genuine attitude of gratitude are more helpful, they're more altruistic, they're more compassionate. Being grateful actually encourages us to be more forgiving and ultimately more loving. And it begins with thankfulness. And so we come back to the story now of this woman who comes in and, and falls at the feet of Jesus and, and is weeping on his feet and cleaning his feet with her hair, which cleaning feet, of course we saw Jesus did that when he cleaned his, washed his disciples' feet, was considered below, the lowest of low actions. It was somebody who was seen as a slave with absolutely no worth is the person who did that. And so what this lady is doing is saying, I owe everything to you. I'm willing to, to go completely to the bottom and be glad to do it because you are in my life. So pride in, in, in all of self-right, that's all out the window with her. She doesn't care. She doesn't care at all. But the Pharisees, what did they? They saw themselves as accomplished. They saw themselves as above other people, as far as righteousness was concerned. They looked at people and found their sins and, well, that person and that person, and they saw themselves as somehow better than others. Pharisees literally prayed the prayer. Pharisee men, thank you, God, that I'm not a Gentile or a woman. They used to pray that. They used to say, thank you, God, that I'm not a sinner like that other person. (laughs) They did that all the time. And so this picture, this story right here is how Jesus is just blowing that completely out of the water. All of those stereotypes that the Pharisees held on to, their self-righteousness, their their arrogance, their everything, it's all being destroyed in a moment with what Jesus is allowing to happen right here. Because they actually believed that if if you were around somebody, you know, a sinner, that it was like a disease you would catch. And so if you allowed a sinful woman to wash your feet like this, it meant that, you know, her sin might somehow rub off on you. And so when this starts, you know they're all uncomfortable, and they're like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? Jesus is not going to be happy about this. And he just lets it keep going. And they're like, wow, if he knew what this woman was really about, he wouldn't let this happen. And he's like, oh, hold up. It's time for a story. Two people owe debts. One owes more than the other. They're both forgiven. Who's going to love more? Well, I suppose the one who owes more. You're right. You're right. You see, the greater the need, the greater the gratitude. And it's not that this woman was, quote, more sinful than the Pharisees. It's that she recognized her need more than the Pharisees. And that's where self-righteousness gets us in trouble. Because if we don't see our sin as great, then we don't see our need as great. And thus our gratefulness will be lacking. See, Isaiah 53, 6 just puts it easy. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, theologically, that is one of the most powerful verses in the Bible. But until we personally see ourselves as completely lost and without hope in sin, this verse won't be that powerful. We may agree with it intellectually. We may even be the Pharisee that invites Jesus in and says, Let's have dinner together. I want to learn from you. But until we see our own sin as absolutely horrid in the eyes of God, and we take full ownership of, you know what? Wow, I have rebelled against God. My sin has separated me from God, and Jesus paid the price for that sin. Until we are willing to become this woman who falls at his feet, our spirituality will be lacking. Our power will be lacking because we don't... Have the gratitude that we should. Because one of the things we find when thankfulness becomes part of who we are is that love makes the effort. And effort reveals faith. When we are truly grateful for something, what will we do? We'll make sure that the object of that thankfulness knows. Right? I mean, we will. We, we can't help it. That's what this woman is like you know what? I'm going over there. Jesus is there. I'm going. And I I will worship him. I will fall at his feet and worship him in front of everybody because I don't care who sees it. This is the one person who has accepted me, who loved me. He freed me. Now, as I said, we don't know who this woman was, but what, what if this was the woman who was caught in adultery? And Jesus says, you know what? Let those of you who were without sin cast the first stone. What if it was her? And Jesus leaves town, and then he comes back through again, and she's like, he's back? Wow. I have to go say thank you. But thank you isn't enough. i got to worship. i gotta, I got to fall at his feet and bring a sacrifice, some ointment that cost her money. And, and I'm going to clean his feet, and I'm going to anoint his feet. I'm, I, there is nothing too, too low for me. He saved my life, and I will show him gratitude. You see, it, it, it pushed her to make the effort that she did. And you know what? She was glad to do it. She didn't have to be forced to do this. Now, that's where I was talking earlier about, you know, sometimes we can kind of force things on the outside and our heart isn't there. We can't force gratitude. But here's the great thing is gratitude actually forces action. We can't help it. And and Jesus put it this way. In John 14, 15, it says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, this is not a checklist mentality that he's like, you better prove to me that you love me by doing these things. That's not what he means. He's saying, if you genuinely love me, The things I tell you to do, you're going to want to do them. You're going to do them. You won't be able to help yourself. You are going to move towards forgiveness. You are going to move towards loving other people. It's going to happen. See, Jesus is stating a fact here that obedience is the product of love, and love is at the core of gratitude. When we are thankful to God for what he has done for us, we want to serve him. We want to. To worship him. And so this woman right here was extremely bold in her actions. And we have this moment now between Pharisees and this sinful woman, and they're missing the point. And so Jesus has to tell a parable to bring their focus where it needs to be, and that is on their own self-righteousness and their own lack of action. They aren't doing the things that this woman is doing right now. Their actions show that they don't love Jesus the way this woman does. Okay? And so he, he tells this story of the two. And, and Simon even says, you know, I suppose it's the one who canceled the larger debt. And he says, you've judged rightly. Then verse 44... It says, then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, which was customary, by the way. They didn't even do that. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. Cultural thing, but yes, a kiss on the cheek was a a standard greeting for somebody who was loved in that culture. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you her sins which are many are forgiven for she loved much but he who has forgiven little loves little. Now this is Jesus taking a direct shot at this Pharisee. Okay, when people, sometimes we, we think of Jesus as a wimp, and he wasn't. He was kind, he was loving, and he was also very direct with the truth. And when he says, he who is forgiven little loves little, he's saying, you think you're righteous and you're not. But your actions prove that you think that you're better than you are. You have not loved me. This woman has loved me. You invited me to your house. And basically what he has done is the bare minimum that would be acceptable in that culture for inviting someone into your home. Like he hasn't gone one step beyond. So he he may not really be grateful that he's there. He invited him and, and whatever his motives are, his actions have shown his heart is not genuinely in it. Where this woman's actions show what? A heart that is absolutely overflowing With gratitude. You see, Jesus isn't telling the Pharisee to do more works and he'll be accepted. He's showing him that his self-righteous, his self-righteous attitude has limited his faith and his faith has revealed itself in his lack of action. And so while the Pharisees were busy judging this woman, this woman was busy being saved think about the play on what's happening there that's why they included it in scripture is this this moment where people are missing the beauty of what's happening because Jesus tells her at the end he says go in peace your faith has saved you a moment of salvation has happened and all these self righteous people can do all these Pharisees can do is judge it they completely miss the point And it comes down to gratitude. Because gratitude leads to generosity, both our own and to God's. Like if we're thankful to God, He's more likely to bless us. Because we're walking closer with Him. Again, don't think this is earning it, it's just the truth. If I'm walking on the path, I'm more likely to get to where I'm supposed to be than if I wander from the path. Well, if I walk in the path of gratitude and thankfulness to God, I'm way more likely to run into his blessings. And so, the woman leaves justified and forgiven, and the Pharisees find themselves at odds now with Jesus. And he even says, her sins, who are many, are forgiven. And they start mumbling to themselves, who is he to forgive sins? Come on. I mean, it's almost like they've seen too much. You ever, you, you know that? It's like they're putting up with, they're putting up with it, and oh, that's too much. That's too much now. Gee, you, you can't forgive sins. Who do you think you are? And as they start to grumble, I just, I get this picture in my mind of they're at the table. These guys are starting to get upset. They're grumbling. Like you can, you can feel the tension rising in the room. And Jesus turns and looks at her and says, you can go now. Go in peace. You're not the problem. They are. I mean, you just kind of, he just says, go in peace. Your your time here's done. (laughs) You you don't have to be here for what's about to happen. Because the truth has run up against self righteousness and lack of thankfulness. And, And so he tells her to go in peace, and he says, she will be saved. And it says, because she has loved much. Her sins are many, which are many, will be forgiven because she has loved much. And it's not that she earned forgiveness. It's that her love is now coming from a place that can only be given by God. And it says, yeah, she's forgiven because it's showing in her life that she now understands the love of God. She's grateful to Jesus. She's worshiping Jesus. She's loving other people. She has been a person whose heart has changed. And Jesus points it out. He doesn't remember any of her sins. He doesn't point it out. He does say, There are a lot. (laughs) I mean, I find that interesting that Jesus does pause. He's like, Yeah, there's a lot. She's had quite the history. But it doesn't matter. It's over. A new life has begun. And he tells her, go in peace. And so I want to close with with this verse. Because this thankfulness and this gratitude for forgiven debts, if, if you see your sins as absolutely horrible in separating you from God, and you see Jesus as having forgiven them, and you have gratitude, then this verse pulls in a little more meaning, and it says, "Verse 1 Peter 4, 8, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Keep walking in that thankfulness that God has forgiven you, and then you will be able to love others despite their sin, and that love does what? It says it covers a multitude of sins. And that's exactly what happened at this dinner when he says, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. You see, he says, I tell you, Luke seven forty-seven. I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And so we can tell the kind of gratitude we have in our own hearts by how much we love others. That is a simple truth. It is a formula that works. If we are grateful for what God has done for us, and it genuinely guides us in life, it empowers our worship, it drives us to to act on the faith that we have, we'll love other people. We can't help it. And, And Peter just tells us, you just keep doing that. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Keep doing it. Just keep going. Don't stop. This is a circle that should just repeat itself over and over. You're grateful to God. And and the more grateful to God you are, the more you love other people. And the more you love other people, the more you realize what God has done for you. And you become more grateful. And this is a circle that should repeat itself over and over and over in our lives. We never arrive anywhere. Okay, we don't arrive. It is a path and a journey that we just keep walking until we get to heaven. And we get this idea in mind that I'm going to get there. I'm somehow going to cross this moment where I got it all figured out. You know what? We don't. And and the the disciples, they knew that. That's why Peter says things like, above all, just keep loving each other. Just keep loving each other, because that's going to be the key to getting through this life. Because you're not going to arrive, and the world's going to continue to be broken. None of that is going to change, but we can successfully navigate it by being thankful to God and by loving one another.